This week, um, this is related to the sermon, so, but this week, one of my uh, heroes, <clears throat> Coach Bowden, some of you have heard of him, you might have heard this story, he died earlier this week, and uh, this is a guy who had a huge impact on me personally as a young football coach and as a young preacher, and I loved FSU football since I was a kid, huge fan, uh, and during this last week, uh, ESPN replayed several condensed classic games in FSU football history in his honor. And I watched like five of them. <clears throat> and that was funny because uh, I already knew the score of each one of these games because they were like 20 years old, most of them. <clears throat> I remembered almost all the plays. Like, oh, I remember this runoff tackle. That's right, Ampley took it to the house on this one. I was just thinking, work done, he scored. He beat the mess out of the Gators on that play. I remember that in the swamp. <laughs> Living in the past, it's true. But you know what? I loved watching these games again because this man had a big impact on me. I remember as I'm watching him, I'm reliving all the details and all the drama. I loved remembering where I was when these games were happening who I was watching with, and how I felt. And it was a very nostalgic and emotional moment for me, not just because of the football, but because of the man, Coach Bowden. It took me back when I was a young coach, my early 20s, like actually not early 20s, like 19 or 20, coaching high school football. I remember these trips I would take to Tallahassee for all the coaching clinics. I was at every one. I remember going to Tallahassee for games because they gave high school coaches free tickets. I remember in these clinics and these times where Coach Bowden would give these speeches and he talked about faith and football and how important it was that we use God to turn coaching into ministry. He even said several times, I feel like I am a pastor for people for four years. Now, some of you may think all of this is irrelevant and silly, but I'm not sure if I would be in ministry today if not for his testimony, his love for Christ, and his impact on my life. Some of you think, wow, what a waste of time. Five football games that have now already happened that are 20 years old. But my question for you is, have you ever watched movies or stories or TV shows over and over again that you really enjoyed? Not because you forgot how they ended or anything like that, but because you wanted to remember the brilliance of the details in the drama. And we revisit these kind of nostalgic stories because we want to remember how we felt the very first time. We want to relive that experience, that moment when a drama unfolded and it touched your heart, captivated your mind and your thoughts. And then by Tuesday of this week, I realized the greatest story that I've ever experienced is the one of my salvation. And I asked myself, why don't I rewind that story more often? And this is what the topic is for this week as we talk about heaven's favorite story. This is one of the most fascinating, lofty Three verses you're going to find in the book of 1 Peter. It is brilliantly written. It is so transcendent 
and ethereal, you almost forget where you are. And let me, let me just read it, and you'll, and you'll start to follow what I mean as I break it down for you historically, spiritually, and personally. <clears throat> Concerning this salvation, he's continuing with thought. Remember, he just, he just spoke last week. We preached on the fact that he was communicating to these persecuted Gentile believers in modern-day Turkey that were in this region during first century that Nero was persecuting and murdering and killing. He was talking about how incredible their faith was. Their faith that is going to lead to salvation. Then he says, by the way, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about grace that was to be yours searched diligently, inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were not serving that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who have preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things, sorry, things which angels long to look. This is an amazing three-verse condensed version of the drama of redemption. And what he does is he gives this, Peter gives this big picture. And he's saying, oh, by the way. And remember I told you last week, we learned that Peter was inspired by this tested faith that these Gentile believers had as they were facing horrible persecution for their faith. And when Peter wrote this section, he wanted these precious believers to be reminded of how great the story of salvation is. They have been, these believers, utterly consumed with the heaviness that we learned about last week. If you haven't caught that, you can go back and catch up. And starting in verse 10, Peter continues to describe the majesty of their faith and the salvation it has brought them. And it's like this. He's saying, oh, by the way, this salvation of yours that I was just talking about, it's the number one topic throughout human history. And Peter launches into this profound perspective of how precious their salvation is. These are people consumed by terror and horror in their present lives, suffering so intense it's hard for them to think of anything else. But Peter gives this brilliant literary 30,000-foot perspective so they can escape the loud, painful, dominant, screaming, present circumstances they face. He describes the role of the prophets, the Holy Spirit, the apostles, and most amazingly to me, the angels. First of all, what does he say about these prophets? Pardon me, this is frozen up. Give me just a moment. I guess I'll try to read it from here. It's not going to go well. <laughs> I know, it's upsetting. Just give me a minute. Okay. 
was scary. Okay. So he's given this 30,000-foot perspective so they can escape this reality. And he describes these things, the prophets, the Holy Spirit, the apostles, the angels. Then he starts with the prophets. He explains that that grace that was to be yours, that was the prophets in the Old Testament, their favorite topic. The prophets were obsessed with studying God's promise of salvation, not just for the Jews, but for all nations. They poured through their own prophecies that God gave them, inquiring what it meant. What do all these things mean? How will this all come to pass, etc.? As a matter of fact, for, to give an example of this, in Isaiah, Isaiah wrote, this is what God gave him. God said, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Gentile people, like these precious believers, although the prophets had no way of knowing who it really meant at the time. They knew salvation was coming, but in what form? Provided by what type of Christ? When? How? Where? They desired to know these details ahead of time. They're searching endlessly, but they never learned the full answer during their earthly lives. Then we have the Spirit. It says not only were the prophets obsessed with this salvation, Peter explains it's the Holy Spirit's number one focus. The Spirit's primary focus and work is to bring about the salvation of God's elect across all generations and all nations. The number one focus of the Holy Spirit is not for people to speak in tongues. It's not healing. It's not even comfort. It's not an emotional experience in worship. All that's what we've kind of relegated the Holy Spirit to. The number one focus of the Holy Spirit is and always has been bringing salvation to God's chosen people. Then he talks about the apostles who were preaching. He says the apostles had become so obsessed with this story of salvation, particularly among the Gentiles, they found it a miracle. They were obsessed with preaching about it. They were obsessed with watching the Holy Spirit birth salvation in Gentiles. And they affirmed it in the hearts of these Gentile precious believers. That's what Peter's doing in 1 Peter. The apostles, their focus shifted from just preaching to Jewish people as now they were obsessed with preaching with Gentiles because God was doing something amazing. And then the angels. See, not only are the prophets, the Holy Spirit, and the apostles all obsessed with their salvation, Peter says the angels in heaven also can't stop looking. So I'll give you some more about the angels in just a minute, but we're going to move to the theological part of the spiritual. This is a brief history of salvation. You know, this story has heavenly beginnings. I'm going to take you all the way to the back. A dramatic story that started before the foundation of the world when Satan and other angels rebelled against God. As a matter of fact, it's listed for us in Isaiah 14. How, are, how you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of the dawn. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. This is a poetic echo. It's referring to a pagan king, but it is a prophetic, poetic echo of the fall of Lucifer, who we call the devil. And then what happens is after this fall, after they rebelled, God pronounced their doom. And pronouncing their doom created anger, resentment, bitterness, and these fallen angels became transcendent villains. These fallen angels had no hope of redemption, or salvation, and at that moment, the clock of their demise begins this dramatic countdown, kind of like the countdown we have on our screen on our live stream, if you've ever seen it. You get excited, right? Three, two, one. 
They know their clock is ticking down and they're watching every second. As a matter of fact, in Jude chapter, in Jude verse 6, and the angels who did not stay within their position of authority but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. They have a lot at stake here, don't they? You can understand why the angels in heaven and, frankly, the fallen angels began to take an interest in this drama of redemption. And then in this brief history, we see that salvation comes to earth. Once God created Adam and Eve, this dramatic, captivating salvation story really begins to heat up. Angels from heaven watch these fallen angels take on the role of villain in this drama of redemption. Fallen angels bringing a full arsenal of evil to bear daily with temptation and traps and lies and pain and sorrow and despair and famine and sword. These condemned angels hate every every episode when one of the father's chosen come to faith in his son, Jesus Christ. They despise God's flawless preservation of his elect from each and every spiritual and earthly onslaught they may bring against it. Their constant failure in hindering the Holy Spirit's work in the hearts of God's chosen children is maddening to them. In many stunning episodes of what I'm calling this salvation, can be read about throughout the Old Testament and the New. From the fall of Adam and Eve to Cain and Abel to Abraham and Isaac and Joseph and David and Solomon and Israel's rebellion time and again in their restoration, evil fails over and over again to disrupt the story of this great salvation. Salvation rolls on during the rise of pagan kings and empire and exiles from Babylon to Persia to Rome. Government has never been able to stop it. Salvation rolls on through world wars, genocides, economic collapses, natural disasters. Suffering can't stop it. And today, salvation continues to roll on unimpeded by pandemics, Societal division, arrogant wokeism, misguided nationalism, technological revolutions, nothing can stop it. And because of that, we see that Peter says in the last part, it has become heaven's obsession. For the prophets, the spirits, the apostles, and the angels, this story has been their favorite movie, TV series, or football game from the very beginning. From heaven, they already know how it ends. But they're obsessed with the narrative the details, the nuances. There's a Greek word in this that says the angels desire to look into. It's this Greek word right here, epithemeo. It means to have a desire, to lust or covet those things forbidden. Well, that sounds naughty. Let me give you a little more feedback. This is a present active indicative third-person plural. I'm not going to break you all that down. I'm just going to tell you when you apply all those aspects of that word, present active indicative third-person plural, here's what it really means. It means that these angels, third person, are looking into constantly the details of this great story that they're not really even a part of. You heard me. They're not even a part of it. I mean, they are a part of it, sort of, but they don't get any benefits from it. They can't be redeemed. They can't be saved. Matter of fact, Luke, Jesus says this in Luke. There is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So in case you thought Peter was lying, Jesus backs him up. 
It is our glorious, intimate, individual moment with Jesus, something these angels could never experience, the moment of your redemption. And like the Old Testament prophets did, these angels, even today, presently, actively, indicatively, are watching our redemption stories. They're watching what God does, how he does it, when he does it, why he does it. They marvel at how, and this is what's the most amazing thing. You know, an angel is supposed to be a messenger. That's what the word means, messenger. They marvel how God uses us, his elect, instead of them to spread the message of this great salvation across the world. And this incredible drama, this story is rolling on and on like a runaway freight train of redemption that they can do nothing to derail. So here's the personal. What about us? What are we supposed to do about this? How are we supposed to read 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 to 12? I've called this section, Our Great Salvation. So this was my sermon preview this week on social media. Why are we more captivated by drama in sports, movies, or politics than the transcendent epic story of our salvation? <clears throat> As I said, this dramatic story has continued uninterrupted for thousands of years. God relentlessly calling and saving his chosen it's ironic, right? As I said, these angels don't play a role in the drama of redemption. They're just spectators. The whole thing is for us. Yet these angels wait with anticipation for every episode. Is it Thursday? Is it out yet? Allow me to imagine some of the conversations they're having. This is pure speculation on my part, but I think you'll enjoy it, right? Can you, I can imagine them saying, Guys, can you imagine being a sinful human and receiving the gift of faith? That moment that your eyes are opened to God's love and glory? Do you remember how sovereign God brought this great salvation to those first century believers in ancient Turkey? That was stunning. Let's rewatch, dudes. Let's rewatch this episode, right? Of when the Spirit kept them faithful even as Nero is murdering their families. Now let's watch the episode of how the Spirit used the Old Testament and the prophets and the preaching of the gospel to save some of these ragtag grace lifers. Do you see the intricate plan God and the Spirit orchestrated over thousands of years to save Megan and Johnny? Have you seen that one? Guys, look how relentlessly he called Chris Martini and Randy and Suzanne and Mark, and James, Jimmy, Rachel, Amanda, Kelly, and Pastor Joe. How did that one come about? Woo! Dude, watch what God did with Lisa and Jen. Rewind it. Dude, this one's so good. I'm sharing this on my Heaven Book feed. I'll tag you. Don't worry. You can see it. These are incredible things. But you know what we've become? We've become distracted recipients of this drama. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3, the first part says, How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? 
See, sadly, the people most benefited by this incredible drama, this story of salvation, us, we are often the most uninterested in it. And we are often, sadly, the least informed. Most Christians today neglect any interest in the intricacies of our salvation. We just want the salvation. We don't need to study it. Just save me and let me move on. Oh, we sing about it here on Sundays. Sometimes we like a little meme on Facebook or we kind of smile at a pithy quote. But our salvation really isn't our obsession at all, is it? Not like the prophets. Not like the Holy Spirit. Certainly not like the apostles and definitely not like the angels in heaven. We take salvation for granted for the most part. We are so distracted by the cheap imitations of drama this world has to offer. We're so distracted by the world's substitutes. Like, like for example, one of the ones that really distracts us is the drama of news. You don't believe me? Check your search history. We follow our favorite sports teams. We rewatch old movies and spend more time watching CNN and Fox News than studying our great salvation, and it's not even close. We're more obsessed with the drama of sports and celebrities, politics, and government than the story of our salvation. Most of us were more fascinated by the Governor Cuomo drama this week than we have been about our salvation for a really long time. I can tell you this for sure. I know which one the angels were more interested in this week. Cuomo, pfft, that's nothing. I'm watching what God is doing in the hearts of people at Grace Life Recovery. That's what I'm looking at. I think it's time that we remember our salvation. I'm not saying that you can't have other interests. Of course we can, and, and we do. But really, where does your story of salvation rank in your obsessions? Now listen, unbelievers, those who don't know Jesus, they really have no choice. All they have to occupy their heart and time are these cheap imitations of drama. But we have something so much better. When we show more interest in any of these other stories than our great salvation, we are settling for a cheap imitation. Church, how could we have become so distracted and so disinterested in the greatest, most important part and reason for our existence? You know, just like our precious brothers and sisters that Peter wrote to, we too need to be reminded of our great story of salvation. Step back today for a moment. Take in a 30,000-foot massive grandeur of this story. The same one that stuns the angels even now, today. Like them, I believe that we should be fascinated with what God is doing in the hearts of his chosen and how nothing that happens in the world seems to be able to derail it. The irresistible grace, this great salvation, just keeps rolling on. We need to be reminded how stupid, petty politics, news, sports, or Hollywood is nothing compared to our great salvation. Man, this is a great salvation, isn't it? You need help? 
You want to start learning how to focus on it more? How about we do this? Let's start with the end of the story for just a few moments, shall we? I'm going to go ahead and give it away. How it ends up, ends up for you. That moment, that day, will experience the last chapter in this salvation story will experience in its full climactic culmination, its full glory in real time. We will have no feelings of regret or disconsent, discontent. We'll have no room for other recollections about political battles, sports, Hollywood movies. We'll have only words of adoration for our Jesus. We will be completely satisfied with and being a part of the greatest drama ever. We'll have no other interests except rewinding the videos, learning every detail in God's grand plan for our redemption, those before us and those after us. We'll be amazed. We'll be stunned by all of it. Even more at that point than the angels are right now at this moment. So with that as our hope, my question is, why don't we take moments each day to rewind just a little bit to remember and to become presently interested in this incredible ongoing drama of our redemption, this great salvation through the work of Christ, crucified, risen, and coming again. Don't you think it's time we spend some of our energy obsessing over that instead of who won an election or a football game or how a movie turns out? That's where the real joy is. I'll close with this thought. I mentioned about the responsibility we have to continue rejoicing, rejoying, joy being the supernatural satisfaction with the presence of God over anything else. You want to really live rejoicing? It starts by remembering our great salvation. Heavenly Dad, we ask that you would remove the distractions of the world that creeps, that keeps screaming, look at this drama, look at this story. This is great, this is exciting. Lord, and they may be, but nothing compares to the drama of redemption. This great salvation the prophets were obsessed with, The Holy Spirit has as its primary focus that the apostles couldn't stop thinking about, that even today the angels have this insatiable desire to know the details of. Heavenly Dad, we have become so distracted by the things in this world, we have lost sight of this incredible salvation you have wrought in our hearts and lives. So today I ask that you would in the hearts of the people that are here this, this morning in this room and those, all those watching online, 
I pray that you would give them a bit of a vision for the final chapter. The culmination of this greatest drama ever. The feeling of complete satisfaction and joy that we will experience that day when our salvation is made sight. And now from that moment, help us to work our way back and just take a moment to be in awe of all the little details. Begin to enable us to rejoice when people come to know you just as the angels do. Today, we do remember our salvation. Help us to take time each day to remember. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I pray this week that you will take time among all your other obsessions to maybe obsess a little bit about the details of this incredible drama of redemption unfolding. Have a great week. Thank you.